We know what our goals are. We know what we hope to accomplish. And believe me, it's the most exciting and challenging assignment we've ever tackled at Walt Disney Production. Oh, hello there. So glad you could come along. I am the Dreamfinder. Welcome to the Main Street Chronicles presents Untold Tales, Stories of Imagineering. Today we have former show writer with Walt Disney Imagineering, Brian Collins, with us. I'm joined by Stokes, and we have some great stories to share with you today. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. So, you were a show writer at Walt Disney Imagineering. What are some of the projects you worked on? Before Animal Kingdom, so I worked in the three other parks and, and resorts, contributed some of the scripting to Albert A. Wall and the Jungle Cruise queue that Albert A. Wall's radio broadcast did some of the scripting and some of the blocking for the great movie ride when that was still around. And, you know, I was heartbroken when it was closed because a lot of my work I did was at the studios shortly after they opened. My day-to-day work was really kind of keeping the scripts fresh for the walking tour and the shuttle tour. I also, the very first script I ever wrote as an Imagineer was kind of plussing the script for the animation building when they did tours through there. And we actually had animators working on The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and all of that. So I would have to constantly kind of keep the scripts fresh for that. And it was kind of funny because over the years, as things have evolved at the studios and pieces of it have gone away, I will always take solace in the fact that, well, they're never going to take the great movie right away, at least, you know, and that was one of my favorite projects. You know, I mean, that's going to be there forever because that's the marquee attraction for the studios. And then they announced, well, guess what? We're taking a great movie right away. You know, so it was like, (laughs) but um, it was certainly a ton of fun. You know, Imagineers, we do a lot of work that is just really kind of like small stuff, too, that most people wouldn't really take a second look at. Um, I did so many like signs and plaques for all the different theme parks, you know, in Epcot, again, the studios in, in, in the Magic Kingdom. Any kind of creative scripting that had to be done, at one point they had in front of the Enchanted Tiki Room, they had what we would call the Barker Bird, and it was in Metronic Toucan that was out front, and he would talk to the guests as they were walking by and try and coax them in to come see the show, and I got to write some of his dialogue, which was a ton of fun. Well, let me ask you a follow-up on that. I vaguely remember the Barker Bird from when I was a kid. Uh, Only went once when I was a kid. Why did they decide to take that away? Do you know? The, the Barker Bird? Yes. Um, you know, I don't know exactly why. I think it may have had to do with the fact that whenever you've got animatronics outside um, from a maintenance point of view, it's going to be very difficult to keep them up. So that may have had something to do with it. Or it may just have been, to be honest, that they felt like it didn't really fit into the show that they were, you know, putting in there. Because if you remember... At one point, they had rehabbed and redone the entire Tiki Bird attraction from what it originally was. They basically gave it a new story. And it may just be that the Bark Bird didn't really quite fit into that new overall story. You know, water and electronics don't mix all the time. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Florida being such a humid area. Honestly, I'm just speculating. I don't know exactly what the final reason was that they took him down. 
most of us have done a lot of work that either never saw the light of day or has just evolved away into Neverland. So, but that's fine. Well, just a little plug for something that we did at Christmas last year. It's interesting that you actually did the Albert Awall script. We had a voice actor that worked with us last year, and he was fantastic. And we actually recreated the Albert Awall script as a... Uh, because last season, in season one, we talked about the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Right. Well, we did two things. So we did a recreation of the complete Albert Awall script, or at least the complete one that I could find online. Oh, my And God. then had the radio coming in and out like he's coming in and out of reception in the jungle. And then we did a, a recreation of the Jungle Cruise. And he does a lot of characters, and his favorite character is Goofy. So we did the Jungle Cruise, and Goofy was our skipper. Yeah. It was really, really fun, because Stokes and I played guests in the park, and and we were just riding the Jungle Cruise, and here comes Goofy just walking along. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, those are probably our two highest-rated shows on every platform, because they're just so much fun. The Jungle Cruise holds a, a special place in my heart for an, another reason, more of a personal reason, but they were redesigning the queue area to look like the Explorer's Outpost. Again, I'm kind of aging myself here, but that was one of the very first queues that WDI really kind of made an immersive experience, you know? Before that, it was just, you would just kind of go through the stanchions on docks and None of what you see there was there at the time. So I remember the show set designer came around and she was like, if any of you guys have anything that you think might fit into the, you know, theming of the area, bring it in and give it to me. and We'll see if we can find a place for it. Because, you know, Imagineers love to put like little personal Easter eggs into things. And I actually had a uh, bunch of my dad's old pipes. He used to smoke pipes, and he had these really cool pipes that I had kept and hung on to and gave her some of those to uh, put in there. So somewhere in the Jungle Cruise queue, some of dad's old pipes are, are in there, and I've always thought that was just, you know, if anything, a really nice little personal legacy for me. That is really cool. Now, is that in both parks or just in Walt Disney World? As far as I know, just Walt Disney World. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to be on the lookout next time. That is a really nice touch. What qualities about the original Imagineers inspired you to create and then ultimately want to become an Imagineer? The first time I remember hearing about Imagineers, I was probably about nine or ten years old. And my parents had gone away. I can't remember exactly. They had taken a trip and they were up in Orlando and they were passing through. And I remember my mom and dad came back and they gave me this picture book that they picked up that was like a little souvenir book about this place that they explained to me that was being built in Orlando called Disney World. At the time, you know, it was still under construction, but you could go into, they had a preview center set up, which is, if any of your listeners are familiar with AAU, American Athletic Union offices are on Hotel Plaza, kind of going up towards Disney Springs. The AAU building, that was actually built to be the preview center for Walt Disney World back at the time. And you could go in there, and they had the very first Walt Disney World ambassadors and cast members, and they had like a model, and they would tell you about, you know, this amazing place that was being built. So I guess my parents picked up this picture booklet, this souvenir booklet there, and they gave it to me. And I remember flipping through it 
and seeing all these amazing pictures of these people working on these really cool projects, you know, like audio animatronic elephants that were being installed. They were all these behind the scenes pictures, you know, being installed in the Jungle Cruise or a close up of one of the women painting under black light in Snow White Scary Adventure. And, you know, my brother and I remember we're just enamored by this book and how cool that was. And it wasn't like from that point forward, it was like my life's mission to be an Imagineer, but it it certainly captured my imagination. And the very first time I went to Disney World was in 1972, within a year of the park opening. And, you know, what kid doesn't walk in and see that castle for the first time and think to themselves, boy, wouldn't it be kind of cool to be the person that thinks up this stuff? So that was, I think, where that first little spark came from. Do you by chance still have that book? Not only do I have that book, but I've got it signed by John Hinch. You mentioned John Hinch, and you've also mentioned that you had stories about Rolly Crump and Mark Davis. Are these the guys that inspired you, or are there any other guys that inspired you also to become an Imagineer? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really know those names until after I became an Imagineer, or at least so working in Imagineering wasn't the first job I had at Disney. I'll tell you that. So after I graduated school, I was working as a video producer in Miami and, you know, had wanted to work for Disney for a long time. And I thought, well, I'll move up here. My brother was living in Orlando at the time in college. So I thought, you know, I'll move up here. I'll, you know, go out there, apply for a job. And they'll have the big corner office just waiting for me overlooking Main Street, (laughs) USA, with a great view of the castle. And they were like, not so fast, hotshot. (laughs) <laughs> and my first job was actually checking in guests to the Contemporary Resort. It was a fantastic place to start because that's where I kind of cut my teeth and learned about Disney culture and Disney guest experience. And all of that really kind of, I think, made me a better Imagineer um, when I finally got the shot, which is a whole nother story. And that's when I started kind of I guess, taking more of an interest about learning about Imagineering and who the Imagineers were and things like that. In terms of, like, inspiration before that, I mean, listen, ever since I was a little kid, writing has always been really easy for me. I've always been very creative. I actually had an aunt who I was very close to who passed away many years ago, but she was always a very creative person and always encouraged my creativity And I think it was more people like that, certainly her and some others, that really maybe encouraged me to kind of follow a creative path with my life. So, Brian, I'm curious, what did your family think of you being a Walt Disney Imagineer? My my dad was a lawyer. I you know, I was like, sorry, Dad, not gonna be a lawyer. But he was always super supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And and uh by the way, you know, his pipes are in the jungle cruise, so you know, I, I think he's cool with that. You know, it's funny because um, my kids, <laughs> my kids, are, uh, they're always chuckling, you know, they're like, Dad, you know, it's like they never knew me when I was an Imagineer, right? Because they weren't born yet. But as they've grown, they certainly have grown up knowing me as one. It wasn't, I think, until they got older, like in high school and definitely in college when it started to kind of dawn on them. Because, again, you're never a captain on your own ship, right? To them, I'm just dad, right? But I'll tell you a couple of real quick funny stories. One of them, I remember my middle son when he was in college. He was in, in a fraternity and he 
called me up one night. He said, Dad, what's the deal with you? And I said, I don't know. What's the deal with me? He said, I was sitting at dinner and we were at this table. There were like four other couples and we were all going around just talking about family and stuff. You know, what's your mom do? What's your dad do? And I guess he mentioned I was an Imagineer at one point. I, my, You know, my dad's former Imagineer. And as soon as he said that, he said one of the girls at the table just like shrieked and like freaked out. It was like, what? And he was he, he just couldn't, didn't understand what was going on. It's like, Dad, you know, it's like, well, I, you know, told you that could happen. <laughs> it was kind of, I mean, I, I was being kind of presumptuous, but in a funny way. And another real quick funny story when it kind of hit home for them and actually for my wife, because my wife, strangely enough, she's not a big fan of um, themes. She doesn't like the big crowds, you know, and everything. So she's fine. Uh, actually, uh, when we're not, you know, when, when she and I want to get away and do stuff on a day off, we prefer to go like kayaking or go, you know, take a drive a few hours away and get into the mountains or, or do, get back to nature. About, I would say like the last week before the great movie ride closed, I had been invited out to a couple of events to go speak and, and talk about the work I had done. And at one of the last ones I went to, I brought my wife and two of my kids with me. I got done speaking and, and afterwards people were coming up this and time that so i had like a line of people that was like autographing stuff for my you know my daughter comes up to me and she's like dad what are you doing like you know what are you signing stuff it's like you know who wants your signature and it was it was a very kind of a in a funny way humbling moment because you know you realize well you know i guess i'm important to someone you know not not you you know but someday i'll realize maybe so that is really neat there just getting that personal push there from your family, them backing you up, all of that. But going back to what you said, your first job there was checking people into the contemporary, and that kind of helped put you in your place to where you could learn the culture yeah. uh, and really set you on the right pathway. So yeah. what are some of the characteristics that you think are best for those becoming an Imagineer? You know, I think the first thing is to just be very passionate about whatever your chosen profession is you know if you're going to be a attorney be the best attorney you can be if you're going to be you know a plumber be the best plumber you can be if you're going to be a teacher whatever it might be in my case you know I actually went to school my degree was in advertising I started as a script writer for a video production companies so I was started as a writer so it was just really kind of being the best writer I could be and I think that's what they look for in Imagineers are people who are not only very passionate about what they do, but who can also bring something a little bit different, you know, that have shown that they can kind of take their craft to a little bit different level than what the average person may be able to do. I mean, in my case as a writer, I think one of the reasons that I was hired is that they saw I could write all kinds of different styles from poetry to technical writing, which was important because he had to do not everything was creative. You know, sometimes there were some very operational kind of spiels that you had to do or um, technical writing to support show documents, you know, that kind of thing. I could write, you know, in a whole lot of different styles. And it didn't hurt that my boss had the same very punny kind of humor that I had. So that that was a lot of fun. You touched on your versatility as a writer, and that was one of your strengths. We know that Imagineering isn't an easy job to have, and we also know it comes with its challenges, 
even if it's something that you're made for. What was your hardest moment working as an Imagineer? So <laughs> I'm always amused when I get that question. You're not the first person to ask me that. I actually get asked that question quite a bit. I think what I can tell you is that I never remember being frustrated to the point of, oh my God, how am I going to solve this problem? Or how am I going to approach this script or whatever it may be? You know, like I said before, when you work in Imagineering, you're just surrounded by so many talented people and everyone is so supportive of each other. And, you know, for anyone that watched the Imagineering story or, you know, is just knows about Imagineers, story is at the heart of everything we do. And for me, it was always very important to kind of understand the story that I was writing to. You know, when we talk about story as Imagineers, we're not necessarily talking about like a story that you read in a book, but the overall creative essence of what that ride or attraction or show or whatever it may be that you're writing for. So for me, it was always really important when I was asked to plus the great movie ride, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be so bold to say I wrote the script for the great movie ride. There were incredibly talented people that wrote, you know, gave me a wonderful script to work from. But certainly I had to go in and rewrite, you know, entire and sometimes entire sections of that script. And it was so important for me to kind of understand what the original intent of that story was and to honor that original story. You know, not write something that I thought would be good just because I think it's good, but actually follow in the direction of where that attraction was and what the original intent was of the people who came before me. When I had the chance to meet some of the uh, legends that we talked about before, you know, John and Raleigh and Mark Davis, I think that's one thing that they always appreciated was, you know, they, they knew that the next generations of people that were coming behind them. And at that point, I was probably, you know, five generations behind where these guys started from. I mean, you know, that they were it. But they, I think there was always a sense that that the attractions were in good hands for the most part. You know, have there been miscues along the way? You know, creativity is such a subjective thing. But for the most part, you know, as long as we're honest and adhere to the story and the vision of what's been laid out, you know, you're going to do okay. So you bring up doing justice to the stories that are already existing and almost shaping it like a challenge. What other challenges do the current Imagineers face that maybe the legends didn't have to face? I would say if there's one thing you have to be careful about, it's about getting too caught up and enamored Mm -hmm. with a lot of the technology that's available today. At this point in my career, I also do some teaching at the University of Central Florida. I'm an adjunct professor out there, and I've taught courses in product development for theme parks and entertainment technology and innovation. And when I'm talking to the students who are the ones that are going to be, again, the next generation, if you will, going into the field, it's really important that they understand the tools that they have to use, but not to sacrifice an idea or a story just to be able to use something. I mean, virtual reality, 
you know, in augmented reality, all of that XR is how it's all kind of clumped together now, has mm-hmm. been kind of like the golden child of technology for the past several years. And, you know, I think initially when it came out, there was a real rush for people to want to capitalize on this new, amazing, immersive technology. And I think sometimes, and I'm not talking about necessarily Disney, but just within the themed entertainment industry as a whole, you know, you saw some times where the technology was being used just for the sake of it being used. And I think that's a trap that you have to be very careful to try and avoid anyone who's been on like Rise of the Resistance or the new Mickey Minnie's attraction at the studios. I mean, the technology in there just is mind blowing. It's fantastic. And it takes a lot of discipline to have that much power, you know, in your hands to wield it correctly. Right. Like Spider-Man, right. Great power comes great responsibility. And I think the same thing can be said about technology. You know, great technology comes great responsibility. So I think if there's one challenge that today's Imagineers have, it's to make sure that they use all of this amazing technology in the right way and not overuse it, maybe. Okay, so we've talked about your most difficult moments and then some challenges that you think Imagineers today face. What would you consider to be your proudest moment as an Imagineer? go back to what I did on the great movie ride and kind of plussing that attraction. And after it was finished, kind of going on and riding the attraction, you know, without my name tag and just, you know, as a guest with the other guests going incognito, just to kind of see their reactions. And I did that several times. You know, we did that while we were plussing it to kind of give us a barometer of where we were and how things were playing out and if they were working the way we intended. But Once it was all said and done and the final changes were made and approved, it was a real special experience kind of getting to go on there and kind of incognito, you know, ride the attraction and be surrounded by the guests and hear them clapping at the end. Well, I do have to tell you, Great Movie Ride was my favorite attraction in all of Walt Disney World up until it closed. I've got a replica sign over here in my uh, office and everything. Well, I just went on... Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway for the first time a few weeks ago. And it was really kind of heartwarming. You know, every once in a while, I'll take people on tours through the studios or, you know, to the different theme parks and kind of walk them through and show them the parks from an Imagineer's point of view. So I had finished up on tours in the morning and I was still wearing my shirt and I had a WDI jacket, you know, so it was pretty obvious who I was. So I'm sitting there in the line and it was a long, probably an hour and a half. You know, people just, at first they weren't quite sure. And then they would ask, you know, where'd you get the jacket? You know, are you an Imagineer? And so, you know, they kind of started learning about. So I told them about my history with the great movie ride and all that and how I felt a lot of anxiety, actually. You know, I wasn't sure how it was going to feel, but You know, you put that much work and love, even though, again, it was like so many years ago, it was a very, very personal thing to me, as it should be. And I, you know, so I was like feeling a lot of anxiety, you know, at one point I was like, you know, I feel like I'm going to cry almost. And, uh, (laughs) And the people that were in line around me were so cool and so 
you know, almost like they wanted to give me a, a big hug or something, you know, and, and after we got off a bunch of them, you know, that we had, you know, gone through this journey of, you know, standing in the queue together for an hour and a half and then, you know, going through the ride and afterwards a bunch of them wanted to get like this big group photograph and everything. It was kind of really kind of heartwarming and almost, I don't know if embarrassing is the word, you know, I mean, I, I appreciated it. But it's funny how when you have an iconic contraction like that, you know, pe people develop a, an affinity for it. And I will tell you, not only the, the guests, but the people that worked in the great movie ride, the cast members that worked there, you know, they call themselves movie riders. And it's, it was almost like being a Jungle Cruise skipper or a Haunted Mansion host. It's one of those attractions where the cast members bonded very tightly with each other and with the attraction. You know, to this day, you can find Facebook pages dedicated to that attraction. You know, it's very heartwarming to hear, I shouldn't say hear, but please read some of the comments that you see out there in pictures and stuff. So it's very cool. Walt had a rule or a task that you needed to go in the park. What was it? Once right. every two weeks, Stokes, or once every two months. Is that still or was it still a requirement when you were an Imagineer that you need to go out and live the park? like a guest? I wouldn't say it was a requirement, but all of us kind of did that anyway. When you're working at WDI, first of all, a lot of the times when we're working on these projects, it's after hours, so it's either very early mornings or late at night. At least for me, I know the best way, and I think for a lot of my colleagues too, the best way to really kind of get a feel for work you were doing is definitely to get out and walk with the guests and you know, I will tell you, if I was ever having a, a tough day or a bad day, all I have to do is take off my name tag and, and walk out, you know, in, into the park, you know, and, and kind of, you know, get pixie dusted for a little bit. To me, I think that's a very important part of being able to create those experiences is you have to also be able to very much see them through the guest's eyes. You were just talking about your experiences and experiencing the attractions you got to be a part of. Can you tell us what your experience was for your first opening day for your first project? The very first script that I ever wrote was for the animation studio for that tour when they would tour people through the building and all of that. And the way that came about, you know, correlates directly with basically, you know, part of the process of how I got into Imagineering, but... I've been working in several other areas within Disney uh, with the marketing department. I was working for the what's called Cast Communications, which is the internal communications branch of the company. I, I was writing stories for Eyes and Ears, the company newspaper, and producing some videos and stuff. And at one point, I think I went up to, it must have been my human resources person that I knew, and I said, you know, I'd always be kind of interested in getting into Imagineering. You'd think it'd be possible, you know, do you know anyone out there? And she's like, you and a million other people, but here's the name of the creative director out there. Why don't you go out there and talk to him and, you know, see? You, you never know. So we met, and he said, well, he said, you know, I like your writing samples and all that. I said, I'll tell you, we're having some trouble with the script for the animation studio. Why don't you take that and see if he can do something with it? And that was pretty much all he said. So I took it home and spent, I don't know, maybe three days kind of massaging it over and, and rewriting it. And I brought it back to him. And I guess he liked it because 
that was, like I said, the first script that, unbeknownst to me, they actually implemented and used that script from that point forward for the animation studio. And that was kind of how I got my foot in the door. So, you know, I think that was probably one of the coolest moments. You know, you talk about being able to, like, go out in the parks and, you know, mingle with the guests and stuff. And the first time I was kind of able to, to do that and kind of stand in the back of the room and uh, watch them deliver that script and, you know, kind of watch the reactions that it was getting from the crowds was a very, very surreal moment for me in a very good way. That kind of segues into this next question. This is going to be an abstract question. Everybody always asks it to anybody that's a Disney fan. What do you think Walt would think of the current parks today? The short answer, I think he'd be a fan of them. I think he'd be amazed at the technology. I think he would be very pleased with how things are still done in much the same way they were when he was running things. Like I said, story is king. I think he'd be really fascinated and intrigued by how we've been able to incorporate all of the new IP that Disney has acquired over the years. Um, you know, through Marvel and Pixar and, you know, even the Muppets and how we've been able to kind of weave all that into the park. So I think for the most part, Walt would pretty much put his stamp of approval on things. Very cool. It's always interesting how you get a different response from everybody you talk to. I think there's some things certainly he'd probably do differently, you know, but I, I think for the most part, you know, we're all human, you know, and mistakes get made and sometimes, you know, decisions get made that aren't necessarily in the best interest or have the best results that you would have thought. But when that happens, I think sometimes they get corrected fairly soon. I think sometimes people will look at a piece of a rehab that's going on or something through a very narrow lens, not understanding what the big picture is and kind of scratch their heads. I mean, that happened certainly when the studios was undergoing its transformation. And to this day, it still is, you know, but the beginning, um, it was really people were like, you know, what's going on here? And now with Epcot being redesigned and reimagined, I remember when they first announced Guardians of the Galaxy in there, to me, it just seemed like so out of place. And honestly, it still does to some extent. But knowing a little bit more about what the bigger vision and the bigger picture is, now I can kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, so that does kind of fit into where they're going. It may seem out of place now, but, you know, five, ten years from now, you know, we're going to be right there. So I think a lot of times people are really quick to criticize certain decisions that that seem to be made in a you know what seems to be a haphazard way but nothing at disney is done without very careful thought in a bigger picture and a big bigger plan so uh, i'll just kind of like leave it at that but you know now whether or not i necessarily agree with the overall direction of where epcot's going you know that's a different argument but within the context of that I think everything will eventually kind of fit into place in the new reimagined park. So with these big projects, you mentioned Epcot, you mentioned studios. Is yeah. there any advice you would give to people that want to become an Imagineer? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, like I said before, is just make sure that you master your craft, whatever that may be. I mean, there's so many different ways to get into Imagineering, and there's so many different skill sets that Imagineering uses now, opportunities that never existed, you know, back in, even when I was working at WDI, a lot of it because the technology wasn't around back then to support, you know, these kinds of roles. I think theme park design in general is getting much more immersive. You know, our friends up the road at Universal have done, certainly given props, you know, they've done a great job with their Wizarding Worlds of Harry Potter and some of the other attractions that they've got going. So, you know, all of that is a good thing because, you know, that competition kind of pushes the entire industry and, and Disney as a whole, I think, you're seeing the experiences become in the environments become much more immersive than you ever have before. So just be very, very good at your craft. Be very open-minded and accepting of different ideas. I, I think that's super important. And look for opportunities on how you can maybe start, even when you're in high school, you know, certainly in college, to start getting your foot in the door. I mean, Walt Disney World has a wonderful college program, which, you know, people who go through the college program, you're not going to be Imagineering or engineering or, you know, whatever your chosen field may be as part of the college program. You're going to be, you know, flipping burgers and you're going to be sweeping Main Street and you're going to be lining up porcelain figurines, you know, in, in the shops. But, you know, just as I was, you know, starting out at the front desk of the contemporary, that's where you're going to learn, you know, about Disney. And the wonderful thing about the college program is that you're given opportunities when you participate in that to network like crazy and to get exposure to other areas. So you may not be, you know, thrilled about doing what your particular day-to-day -day job is, but if you take advantage of the opportunities and the networking, I, I've known many people who have gone through it and then been hired back. You know, one young lady in particular who came through the program twice, and she was an engineering major. And I remember when I met her, one of her jobs was at the back of the Contemporary Resort. She was helping organize all of the... Uh, nuts and bolts and, you know, pieces, parts, like in a giant hardware store in, in backstage, categorizing them. It was very, very unglamorous work. But, you know, like I said, she was given opportunities to network and, and meet people and get exposure to the company. And as soon as she graduated, she was offered a great job in engineering uh, with Disney. There's also the... Uh, wonderful WDI competition. If you're in college, you can put together a team and they every year they put out a project and you assemble your, your team and enter it into the competition. And the winning teams, the top teams are uh, given a chance to go out to Glendale and present to the WDI staff out there. And many of the people who have gone through that competition have actually wound up getting offers uh, to work for Imagineering. So, you know, you just have to be very resourceful. You have to be very open-minded. Imagineering is, is not 
typically the kind of place, especially when you're younger and, and don't have a lot of experience, where you can just send in a resume and hope hope to get a job. Um, it takes a little bit more than that, but there are definitely opportunities. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted, you know, later later on, maybe when I was in high school, I thought, you know, it'd be cool to either be an Imagineer or an astronaut, and I never made it space, but got my Sorcerer Mickey name tag, so funny things happen. What would you like to see in the future from Imagineering in the Disney parks? I really enjoy the really immersive environments that they've started to create. You know, I mean, you go into like Pandora, for example, you go into Galaxy's Edge. I love those really immersive kind of environments. If you look at, you know, the original Disneyland that Walt created, I mean, listen, he created that park almost as a place where he could take his daughters and when you walk through Disneyland, you really kind of get the feel that it's got Walt's very personal kind of stamp on it. And then you look at Walt Disney World here, and you can kind of see how the storytelling evolved from Disneyland. And then, you know, as more parks opened up, you know, with every park that opened up, and then now with every rehab that's going on, you're seeing how the industry is really kind of embracing just new techniques and new guest experiences. And one way they're doing that is creating these really intense, immersive experiences. In Galaxy's Edge, you know, they're going to go so far as to have a star cruiser that you can stay for three days. And when you check in, it's almost like Westworld. Hopefully the robots don't go berserk and kill everyone. That'd be a bad day. But, you know, you're going to check in and you're going to get your Jedi robes or your Sith robes and your lightsaber. And from that point forward, you're not going to be on Earth. You're going to be, you know, even when you're staying in your room, you're not looking outside the window to the studios or the parking lot. You're going to be looking out into this immersive experience out there. So they're really kind of, you know, taking it to that next level. And I think, you know, especially as people now are becoming and, and kids that are growing up now or who are growing up with VR and AR, they're almost demanding that kind of immersiveness, if you will. And it's just going to give the Imagineers a wonderful, wonderful way to keep telling those stories in so much more of a richer way than we ever have been before. That's kind of where I see it going. Well, that's going to do it for all of the questions. And now we would like to open up the floor to you to share a little bit about what you worked on outside of Imagineering and what you're currently working on, as well as, I believe it's what, the Brainstorming Institute, is that correct? Yeah, the Brainstorming Institute, the Magic Bites. You know, at this point in my career, I've kind of evolved it to kind of doing things that are kind of fun and kind of leverage all that background from Imagineering and beyond. My education background, like I said, I, I've taught at the university. I love teaching courses and I do a lot of speaking to just last week. I spoke to a group of students, about a hundred students at the local high school about how to get in touch with your own creativity and stuff. So I love doing that kind of thing. And every once in a while I get asked to give a keynote or do a workshop or something like that. And most of that is what falls under the brainstorm Institute. That's kind of the name I've given my consulting practice, if you will. But over the past few months, I've also been 
very involved in uh, working with a company called Magic Bytes, uh, B-Y-T-E-S, Magic Bytes. What we do, Magic Bytes, is we're doing a lot of content creation for immersive environments, for VR and AR and game design, and using a lot of that technology background that I have and that story background and applying that to the gaming world and the corporate training world and military technology and all kinds of new areas that might seem different on the surface, but then when you kind of break it down, there's a lot of commonality. We have the best trained warfighters in the world because, you know, when you look at the systems that these guys train on, these men and women train on, it's, in some cases, it seems like it's nothing more than an amazing video game. I'm having a lot of fun kind of leveraging that, my, my background to kind of help uh, with some of that content creation. I've got a website, WD, with me that people can check out if, you know, they're interested in taking a tour through a park or having dinner with an Imagineer. That's something I offer up. So it's kind of fun now. So can you give us some more details about a tour or dinner with an Imagineer? <laughs> if you go to my website, wdwithme.com, you can sign up there. Basically what I do is I take people, I walk them through. I'm also on Airbnb too. <laughs> so if you ever go on Airbnb, you can find me that way. But basically what I'll do is I call it a stroll with an Imagineer and you pick any park you want to go in. And basically I walk people through, it takes between three and four hours they're all customized depending on what your interest is. But I talk a lot about how to look at the park through an Imagineer's eyes, about the special effects, about the theming, the storylines. The I try and point out Easter eggs and talk about, you know, these experiences I had when I talked, like I said, to John Hench, and he was explaining to me why they use four different colors of white on the facade of the American Adventure, you take one of my strolls, well, I'll tell you the rest of the story <laughs> of why they do use four shades of white. So it's a lot of fun. And the dinner is the same thing if people would like, you know, I'm available to sit and just over dinner, you know, talk about basically either that same kind of thing or whatever, you know, my guests would like to talk about with an Imagineer. Well, I can absolutely see us partaking in quite a few of those things. How can our listeners follow you? So I'm, I'm definitely all over social media. So if you start by Googling Brian Collins Imagineer, you'll probably find me, which may or may not be a good thing. But let's see, on Twitter, I am at Brainstorm INST, which is short for Brainstorm Institute. So Brainstorm INST, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Facebook, you can, I've got two pages. One page is called The Mouse and the Imagineer. And the other page that I have on Facebook is really for educators. So if there are any teachers or educators out there, please join my Facebook page, which is Educators Who Love Disney. I actually have partnered with a couple other guys. And right now with everything that's going on, we're kind of scrambling to figure out how to finish it out. But last year, we did a professional development experience for teachers where they could go online and complete about a dozen or so online modules, but then they flew into Orlando and spent a week going through the parks with us. And we kind of connected the dots of Disney lessons with classroom lessons. So that was really fun. It's a lot of fun. We enjoy doing that. Yeah, so, so definitely find my um, educators who love Disney and the Mouse and the Imagineer. Those are my two Facebook pages. 
My websites are wdwithme.com, and the other one is uh, brainstorm-institute.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, so definitely, you know, find Brian Collins Orlando on LinkedIn. And if anyone wants to email me, they can email me at brian at wdwithme.com. And, you know, I'm very easy and accessible to get a hold of. Well, and we want to give a shout out to your dog. What's your dog's name? Oh, you can hear <laughs> my, my dog's name is Loki, L-O-K-I, Loki, you know, the uh, god of mischief. We'll make sure we give Loki a nice little shout out there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's all the questions that we have. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute honor to share your stories and can't wait to put it all together and see what kind of magic we can all create together. Well, thanks, guys. I, I look forward to it. We hope that you enjoyed these stories. Be sure to tune in next time and we'll have even more stories from another Walt Disney Imagineer. You've been listening to the Main Street Chronicles part of the Imagination Radio Network and a BRS Productions podcast. Be sure to check us out on all your favorite social media and podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, and rate so that we can continue to bring you as much magic as possible.